AVXL episode 177 was recorded on April 14th, 2022. Mate, Sonos, and a speaker driver technology you've probably never heard before. New subs, soundbars, and home theater speakers, DIY monitor calibration, Hisense has a killer ultra short throw projector, and so much more. Hey, do us a favor. If you got a question about home theater and audio, email ask at avxl.com if you got a question for us. And thank you, really thank you, thank you to everyone that supports us at patreon.com slash avxl. Our next patron hangout is Friday, April 22nd at 6 p.m. Pacific and 9 p.m. Eastern. We look forward to seeing you there. Testing one, two, three. All right. I'm not blowing anything out. Ignorant weasels chewing on your soul. Ignorant weasels. Do you have speed? Yeah. You caught this just before we started recording. I was deeply fascinated by this, and I hope mate, M-A-Y, H-T is the way to say that. <laughs> exactly. What is going on with that company? Okay, so there are a bunch of like Northern European audio companies over the last few years, decade or two, that have kind of come out of nowhere and established new and exciting levels of performance, especially around Class D amplifiers. Purify comes to mind as one of the more recent ones. And before that, Hypex, which were started by the same guy, um, who also, I think, was one of the guiding lights from the technology side at ice power but what i'm saying is like out of the northern out of the great cold north <laughs> comes audio technology and in this case it's the netherlands which uh is definitely north and sonos bought mate holding quote a Netherlands-based company that has invented a new revolutionary approach to audio transducers. Transducers are the foundational element within speakers that create sound, and Mate has re-engineered them to enable smaller and lighter form factors without compromising on quality. And uh, it's very dramatic, but then again, press releases usually are. Sonus, the CEO, flat out said this was his justification for spending $100 million on this company. Quote, Mate's breakthrough and transducer technology will enable Sonos to take another leap forward in our product portfolio. End quote. All your basic Sonos speakers, all your Sonos speakers, period, have traditional dynamic drivers in them. So there's a cone made out of some material. Doesn't matter what the material is. You know, people will use paper. They use beryllium. They use, um, I haven't seen... Uh, hemp, but I've certainly seen bamboo and a whole bunch of other stuff. But essentially, you have a stiff material that is held in place by some sort of rubber-like, usually butyl surround. That surround is, or the spider or the frame, holds the speaker driver in place. And at the base of the speaker driver is kind of a tube wrapped with wire, the coil, and that ducks into a magnet. And as you run power through the coil, it reacts, creates an electromagnet that reacts with the speaker cone wire thing is called the motor, the thing that moves the speaker in and out or back and forth. It creates the pistonic action, since I like saying pistonic action. Yes. And that's a classic speaker driver, right? That's that's basically you move the speaker in and out, and hopefully music comes from it. Right? That's if how you, they've been doing it. Music into the speaker. That is the classic thing. We've 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 seen like planar magnetic, primarily in headphones. We've seen electrostatics, but essentially uh, the vast majority of speakers, including all your Sonos speakers, are use a basic dynamic driver. When you look at something like a Sonos Model One, the One or the One SL, they sell for a hundred and basically let's call it two hundred dollars for the One SL, right? Two twenty for the voice uh, control stuff. 
the smart version of it. So right. out of that two hundred dollars, there's essentially a little you know woofer and a tweeter inside of there if memory serves. Out of that two hundred dollars that you pay retail, about at the most, from what somebody told me, six dollars of that goes into the speaker drivers in there. A pretty commodity and, item for sure. They've yeah, been around yeah. long enough to uh, where you can buy them in bulk in any size or shape you practically need. Yeah. And looking at this design and why maybe Sonos would want to acquire a company with this technology is how compact it can be for what they're claiming in terms of performance. That goes into portable speakers. If you need better boom out of your smaller designs, you right. need to go with something other than that traditional speaker design, which can take up more space or you're limiting yourself in terms of the absolute performance. Yeah you'll get out of the same cubic volume, per se, of an enclosure. Something I should point out, you know, in that Model 1, those drivers, and, and part of the reason they reach those those inexpensive prices, those physical drivers, is because they're producing in massive volumes. But a tweeter's a tweeter at this point, right? You can change the material, you can do different things, but generally speaking, tweeters aren't changing a lot. But those drivers in those Model 1s, when they came out, you know, in the original version, was pretty fascinating because, you know, they were doing a very high, what we call X max, because it used to be to get lower, you would make your driver wider. And then at some point, I think in the automotive subwoofer community, and I have a particular uh, speaker engineer in mind in my head when I say this, they started figuring out another way to move more air you know, down low is to make the in and out pistonic action of the woofer go farther out and farther in. So maybe from an X max of, you know, five or six millimeters to an X max of 10 or 12 millimeters, right? But when you combine the latest in driver technology and design and that extra X max with a whole bunch of DSP, you can get a speaker that's incredibly satisfying, despite the fact that there's not a big, massive driver in this. These sound really good for almost all kinds of music without a subwoofer. Now, if you spend a lot of time listening to orchestral music live, you might be like, this doesn't move enough air. I get it. You know what I mean? Like, there's not 37 people honking and blowing and hitting things 50 yards in front of you. But for the most of us, it's a very satisfying experience. So looking over these drivers from Mate, my first thought was that the actual part that is moving back and forth to, to, to move the air to generate the sound looks a lot like the balanced mode radiators we were talking about last week in the sense that instead of having a cone, it looks like a flat device with its little design on the front of it, you know, with a surround. And then when you go over to Mate.com, M-A-Y-H-T.com, uh, and there's this, you know, GIF in there, and it looks like a lot of sub, well, a lot, three come to mind. Uh, you know, one from several years ago that I bought from a garage sale at a yacht club, which was, I think, for like, I think it was a $6,000 subwoofer new, and I bought it for like 100 bucks. And we've seen more recently from Kef, where they have two opposed drivers. They each face out from each other, and essentially they, they, they cancel the motion from each other out, right? So one faces out the left side of the box, one faces out the right side of the box. So in this case, we've got a flat surface on the driver, and what looks like four motors in each speaker box, and maybe two drive one side and two drive the other, because you can see it as you look at that visual on mate.com, you know, it looks like it's radiating sound from both directions. The fancy description of this is the world's first fully balanced dual membrane driver technology 
which represents a revolution in transducer technology. The breakthrough affords order of magnitude improvements in key measures such as maximum output, size, weight, and flexibility. So this is a lot of words, and it's very exciting, and there's very little technical information up on the website because, you know, obviously they're inventing things, they're not sharing a lot of information. So transducer is basically another word for speaker. Looking at that picture real quick, it is, in effect, a coupled set of speakers that are acting as one. Yeah. And by their very motion, they're canceling out potential vibration uh, that is going to be the essence of any speaker system. So having those two actually physically coupled, it could enable some interesting performance characteristics. And apparently what they're going for is, as they even said in that statement, it's about maximizing the output at a certain size. Let's pause for a second, right? Because like that whole thing about vibration to me is a MacGuffin, right? Because you've got speakers around you. You've got speakers in your house. How many times have you thought to yourself, my goodness, the uncontrolled vibration of that three or four inch speaker, moving that speaker is going to either destroy the wall or bounce the speaker off my tabletop. Have you ever said that? No, no. Okay. And for that billion dollar Teutonic subwoofer I bought from the Yacht Club for a hundred bucks, one of their things that they talked about in the marketing campaigns was that you could set a drink on top of this subwoofer and the diametrically opposed drivers would cancel out vibrations so your drink wouldn't vibrate off your incredibly spendy subwoofer, which really fit in with the whole Yacht Rock kind of mode there. But again, this goes back to the physical size of it, though. It's one yeah. thing to have but an 8 or a 12-inch driver. And that would be yeah. the ideal. But if you don't have the space for that, that is where this that's, technology directly comes into play. And that's exactly what it's about. It's At about least size. that's what impressed Mate, Sonos enough to purchase the company. Yeah, literally. This is the kind of the buried lead. Mate says a 3.5-inch diameter heart motion driver has the same output as a conventional 8-inch diameter driver. A 1.5-inch heart motion driver has the same output as a conventional 3.5-inch diameter driver. They're talking about an order of magnitude and reduction of the enclosure volume for the same volume and output. If that works in the real world, if it scales, that's insane. That's huge. I can't wait. Yeah, I'm very, 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 very curious. I'm also kind of curious how long it takes Sonos to go, for, you know, is, has Sonos been working on a driver with them? Is it going to be, you know, integrated in a product we're going to see this year? Is it going to be five years out? Right. I'm really, really curious about that. I'm also really, really curious what the expense of these drivers are because they look complicated, but that Premium. also may be... Premium. I like that. I like that. <laughs> it's cool looking um, technology. And if it can just simply outperform the physical size that it is yeah. claiming, hey, that's what they need in terms of being able to create even better, smaller speakers. One of the things you see, right, when you look at a speaker and it's got like a tweeter, and we're going to talk about a speaker that does this in a couple of minutes. When you have like a tweeter and it has three of the same size drivers below it, a lot of times the tweeter does the highs one of those three drivers does the mids and the other couple drivers basically do the subwoofer or in other cases I've seen there's like two six inch drivers and a tweeter and they essentially couple those two six inch drivers with the idea of being the two smaller speakers behave more like a single large driver so like you get the performance of a 10 or 12 inch midwoofer woofer out of two six inch woofers so this is a very sophisticated way of doing this I really want to hear one of these Really, really, really want to hear one of these. I would hope they would have a product out sometime this year. We shall see. We wait with bated breath. Which, by the way, turns out to be bated breath is a Shakespeare quote. I had no idea. 
We're sophisticated. We quote Shakespeare all the time. The same quote over and over. <laughs> uh, memories of my high school Shakespeare class. Hoorah. <laughs> LG C1 OLEDs. Prices are dropping already? Is this 2021 or 2022? 2021, baby. C1 is 2021. And okay. those TVs are still available. And for whatever reason, they've now hit the lowest price ever. So nice. we were talking a couple weeks ago about how they were trying to probably clear these out to make way for the 2022 C2 OLED televisions that are already starting to trickle out. However, if you don't need that latest and greatest cutting edge television technology and you're perfectly fine with saving a bunch of money, you can pick up the 55 inch C1 OLED today uh, via Amazon and the other usual suspects for $1,100, which looking at the price history of that is the lowest it's ever been. And looking across the whole size line for the 2021 TVs from LG in that C1 lineup, they're all at a new low price. So again, it, it is just good value. That is a fantastic price for a 55-inch screen or if you needed the 65 or 77 or what have you. For comparison, the 2022 55-inch C2 OLED is currently about $700 more at $1,800. Or if you really want to jump onto the bleeding edge, the 55-inch Samsung S95 OLED TV is right now at $2,200. And those two TVs have launched within the last week to 10 days. So they're going to be still at premium pricing. But for something like a 55-inch premium screen for $1,100, that's a wonderful price. I'm willing to bet that places like Costco and Sam's Club are also Mm -hmm. highly discounting the C1 OLEDs at this point as well uh, for the remaining stock. Some folks are reporting that you may, due to panel lottery, even get a newer panel technology in the 2021 TVs than maybe they first launched with. Still, you're going to get that similar performance. You're not getting any of those 2022 features like the brightness booster feature that will be featured on the 55-inch and larger C2 and G panels as well. Either way, it's just a good reminder that, hey, if you're looking to save a good chunk of change, Pick up a C1 today. Go 2021 while they're still in stock. I can't believe this pricing is going to last very long. This seems like the last push just to move as many as they can before the 2022s have completely saturated the market. It's nuts. When you look at I just for fun looked up a 48-inch LG OLED C1 series, and it bounced for the first month, for the first couple weeks back in May, of 2021 the price bounced between 1500 and it looks like 1750 give or take $1752 and 10 cents and then it dropped to 1400 and then in September July August around August it dropped to 1300 and it's been around 1100 and it's now it's below $1000 so it's interesting right it's the first couple of weeks that they they charge the highest price and then there's this long, steady decline. And in about a month or two, we should see there'll, there'll be like three of these left and they'll be priced at like $1,800, $2,000 for the people who are desperate to have a matching television or something. <laughs> right. And a reminder, that C1 in the 48-inch size is $100 less than the 55-inch screen size currently at the sale prices for moving these suckers out. So either way. Uh, If you were maybe debating uh, saving some money by going with 55-inch over 65-inch, 
well, this sale could effectively move you up a size category, which is really nice uh, if you're on a budget for a premium OLED experience that would be good for just about any room, save for the brightest environments. Right. So pretty. Yeah. <laughs> good deals. I truly want one of those Samsung OLED TVs just to see that in person. But I'll wait a little bit longer. Get some more reviews, Neil. <laughs> see if uh, I can handle one in person before I actually pull the trigger on something like that. Sounds like a good plan. Ton of products have been announced recently in the audio side of the universe. Um, first up, I don't think I mentioned this. Uh, RSL has come out with a Rogers Sound Labs that come out with a new speed woofer, the 10S Mark II. That replaces the original speed woofer. Um, the price has gone up from $400 to $450. And the original speed woofer 10S, I think it was pretty much the same $400 price from 2016 to about, you know, they finally shut it down at the beginning of this, uh, the tail end of this year beginning of this year, beginning of 2022. So um, the new Speedwoofer, and I'm a big fan of this Speedwoofer. It's Brent Butterworth's pick as the best subwoofer for most people who are you know spending more than $100 on a subwoofer over at uh, the wire cutter. It's a phenomenal piece of engineering. Um, so the new one, they basically have a new high excursion driver, and this thing's, you know, like all the subwoofer companies, massive dual magnets, cast aluminum frame, big, hefty chunk of engineering. And then they made some major changes to the amplifier design. The basic compression guide style enclosure stays the same. And if you want to see that, they have a wonderful drawing and explanation up at the, uh, the RSL website, which is rslspeakers.com. They have a new, uh, a new subwoofer driver, and then what they call the XDR series amplifier or extended dynamic range. And they're calling it that because a, they've bumped the wattage from 350 to 400 Watts RMS. It now peaks at like 1020 Watts, which is a pretty hefty peak probably for a very short period of time. Uh, and then they pack in a pair of DSPs on that. So what exactly those are doing? I don't know. Cause they're not getting too explicit about it, but essentially RSL says it is now 22 Hertz to 200 Hertz plus or minus three DB, which is pretty freaking flat. That means it goes even lower than the previous generation, the first generation, the original Speedwoofer, which is a nice bonus for home theater. These are fantastic audio subwoofers. They're solid home theater subwoofers. Getting down that, that super low end gives it a nice bump for the home theater users. Uh, the first round of them is sold out. You can reserve one if you want. I am really curious to see the CEA 2010 numbers for these because no one has gotten. I know at least one has been sent out to one reviewer, but he doesn't have CEA 2010 numbers yet. I'm super curious to see what it looks like compared to the original uh, Speedwoofer. RSL's done a really great job keeping uh, cost controlled on these and delivering a really tremendous low end uh, experience. It's not, and I'll be honest with you, right? This isn't going, these aren't going to be like shaking your walls loose at 20 hertz. These aren't going down to 16 hertz. These aren't delivering like 122 dB at 30 hertz, but these are good solid subwoofers for the vast majority of people out there looking for a subwoofer. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Speaking of uh, subwoofers, man. Monolith has some new dual THX certified subwoofers. These things are beasts. The Monolith M-210, that's a dual 10-inch subwoofer, and the M-212, which has dual 12-inch subwoofers. And essentially, these are big, like 36, 37-inch high boxes with two great big subwoofers sticking out of the front. Both are certified THX Ultra or THX certified Ultra which 
basically means they're designed to fill great big rooms. Uh, the cinematic experience to larger home theaters up to 3,000 cubic feet in size with a viewing distance of up to 12 feet from the screen. And that's, you know, the, the next step up, which just got, I think THX came up with Dominus last year, which goes up to like 6,500 cubic feet or basically the size of my basement, which would be a very large room to fill with base. I do appreciate those monikers just for giving you a quick yeah. reference in terms of, hey, this speaker yeah. would be good for this size room. And if you yeah. needed it larger, here's our next step up. That would be effective in a room this size. And I think for the average person, that makes it easier to mm -hmm. pick and choose something that's going to be effective. That's a nice thing that Audioholics does for their subwoofer reviews, where they right. basically certify it for a given room size. Because uh, most people don't get THX certification, right? So these are not inexpensive, but they're not that expensive when you're looking at high-end subwoofers. Uh, the M210 is $1,300. The M212 is $1,800. They both include a 1,000-watt RMS, 1,800-watt peak, Class D amp. When you look at the CEN 2010 vented measurements for these, they're, they're a little uh, lower for the sealed version of it. Um, the M210, the dual 10-inch subwoofer, averages 115 dB from 16 to 125 hertz. The 12-inch version, the M212, is 117.9 dB average from 16 to 125 hertz. So to put that into perspective, the M212 is 110.2 dB at 16 hertz when you do the CEN, CEA 2010 measurement, which basically you, you create a loud noise, and then if it gets too distorted, you're done, right? So... It's 110 dB at 16 hertz, 116 dB at 20 hertz, and it's pretty much uh, 120 to 128 dB from 25 to 125 hertz. That's very, very loud. It's not the flattest response I've seen, but most subwoofers don't go down to 16 hertz. A lot of subwoofers don't go down to 20 hertz, and I've seen subwoofers that don't even go down to 30 hertz. Those are usually inexpensive subwoofers. Chances are that'll be a nice upgrade if you are replacing any yeah. uh, hit speaker, that's for sure. But even if you just oh want goodness. something good, good to go. Yeah. <laughs> these are, I mean, these are massively built, right? And most of the, most of the major subwoofer manufacturers, they, they don't cheap out on the enclosures. The M212 weighs 174 pounds. Yep. These are. Get a friend. Do you do not? Two. Yeah. Do not move these by yourself. They've got the Monoprice Monolith five-year replacement warranty that's standard on most of their products. You're shipping a wet sack of concrete at that point. <laughs> not quite, but you're definitely leading in that direction. I can't imagine what the shipping cost is. Well, you if you pay a certain amount at Monoprice, you get your shipping for free. But uh, I can't imagine what it would cost if I wanted to ship this, say, to you. Or Palletized. Or for that matter. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I would hope. Anyway, yeah. Well, Bring a couple I, of buddies I, I, when you're moving this thing and I, getting it installed and bring it, even bringing it into the home. Yeah. <laughs> I own two Monoprice Monolith subwoofers, the the single 12-inch subs, which are pretty hefty. They're like 125 pounds in their box. They do a pretty good job packing those. If your delivery driver's already ticked off at you, you can expect them to roll this off the back of their truck and drive away. <laughs> They're kind of heavy. I think these are actually drop shipped, though, not, you know, during a normal shipper. Truly. Please Special delivery. Monoprice, don't get angry with me that I'm making humor about angry uh, delivery drivers. Um, Monoprice uh, also has three new THX certified Monolith on-wall LCR speakers. The Monolith M-OW1, uh, which is, uh, 
you know, left, center, right, that's $500 a pair. The Monolith M-OW3, which is a big center soundbar. The soundbar is kind of crazy, right? It packs three four and a half inch drivers and three 20 millimeter silk tweeters. Those are each arrayed concentrically. And then there's like another six passive drivers in the, in the soundbar. It is not powered. It is 4 ohm, 85 dB sensitive. So you need a fairly healthy amp to drive it. And you're going to need to run three speaker cables to it. And then they also have some THX certified satellite speakers, wee little boxes uh, that sell for $250 a pair. Haven't seen any uh, frequency response numbers for those. But again, the monolith lineups generally doing really good work for the money. And uh, it's funny, reviews are showing up for the monolith Encore T6 tower speakers that were announced earlier this year. Uh, 2.5-way design, right? So like I mentioned, we were talking about those drivers earlier in the show, the mate drivers. So this speaker, it's a tower speaker. It's got three 6.5-inch midwoofers and a 25-millimeter silk dome tweeter for the high end. One woofer cover the mids, and then the other two uh, midwoofers are ganged up to, you know, basically for the low-end driver. Right. The, uh, they split it, you know, there's there's one, two, three, four speakers split three ways. Uh, the tweeter's in a recessed circular waveguide, which you don't see all that often. I've seen a lot in exotic speakers often that sound really weird, but uh, this actually is a, a fairly solid measuring speakers. Um, they're 800 bucks a pair. Reviews look good. They're fairly flat from 100 hertz to about 10,000 hertz with a little squiggle. Uh, up above between uh, 10,000 and 20,000 hertz. They are down about five decibels by 50 hertz, so a sub is something you definitely want for the home theater situations. And uh, again, uh, five-year warranty on those speakers. And then uh, two last things before I stop talking about audio gear. Polk and uh, Devalier have released sound bars. So we got Polk's React sound system, which includes a sub and a pair of rear sats for $639. It's currently on sale for, I think, the normal price is $689. That has uh, <laughs> shoe who must not be named supports built in. I'll give you a hint. It's uh, voice commands from Amazon. And then there's Devalier's Dion, which is an all-in-one Dolby Atmos 5.1.2 soundbar. Uh, it's got a center speaker ball, so it's a you know it's it's a sound bar, and then it's got this sort of microphony looking ball in the center of it called the orb, and the orb is trademarked that name, and you roll the orb to match whether or not you're setting it on top of a console or a table or if it's going on wall mounted. Huh. It includes 17 drivers, with quote eight custom built subwoofers for gripping power. Bluetooth, AirPlay 2, Spotify Connect, along with basic HDMI and optical. And then they have something they call space technology, uh, where, quote, stereo movies are spatialized to render 5.1.2 audio for her. And then they mention Netflix Prime, Disney Plus, and Apple TV. And this all sounds to me like they mean Dolby Atmos support, but they don't have permission to say Dolby or Atmos because they're talking about, you know, creating spatialized audio from sources that do actually have some Atmos titles. We did not license the don't... technology, therefore cannot <laughs> technically say we support it. <laughs> what the man in California just said, uh, $2,400 for the no subwoofer, no uh, satellites, and you know, as always, um, you, you know, a sound bar is not going to effectively create sound behind you. It may create an awesome sound stage. 
it may be super cool and amazing, but for the best surround sound experience, you still want drivers at the back of the room behind your head. Still and if you're going for Atmos, you want drivers. You know, we've, you know what? I feel like we beat the Atmos speaker location horse to death last week, so I won't go into that. Uh, if you don't remember, just go listen to AVXL 176 again. Um, oh, yeah. Three inches thick. Very curious to hear how low the eight custom-built subwoofers extend uh, the low end on this uh, on this box. That's a lot so of drivers packed into a soundbar. Yes. It is. Chances <laughs> are it has a pretty impressive sound for a premium price tag. So I, I would you expect know, a lot I, from it in that category. I, I have complicated feelings about Devalier uh, because, you know, they did the Phantom, which was just people went nuts about it. And I realized three things is that most technology reviewers didn't own decent speakers and most technology reviewers had never had a, a device with a subwoofer. It was impressive, but it was incredibly expensive. They made a huge deal out of like the built-in 9 billion watt amplifiers, which you don't need unless you're actually going to, you know, force your eardrums to meet in the center of your skull. And most importantly of all, setting it up was one of the great nightmares of my life because I had to update the firmware to get it to connect to anything. It was the least user-friendly Wi-Fi speaker setup slash Ethernet speaker setup I think I've ever had. I want this to be a phenomenal experience, but I got to say, somebody handed me a, a Devilay Phantom speaker because they couldn't get it to run. And this is a fairly sophisticated, technologically sophisticated kind of person. And it was crazy because I ended up needing to, you know, their app was funky. I needed to connect to the Ethernet. I got to connect to the Ethernet. I got to connect to the wire. I had to upgrade the firmware. I needed something they used uh, to call, uh, back in the day, they, they needed a, a, a hub called the Dialogue, which was a couple hundred bucks in order to do airplay support. And if you wanted to sync two of these in stereo um, or, or do kind of the multi-room uh, experience like a Sonos, it was really unpleasant and their app was a nightmare. Now, this was many, many years ago. <laughs> One would hope things have improved because you know. that is almost unacceptable in this day and age, especially from a premium product. Yeah. Otherwise, you would hope they could just skip that and give me even yeah. better performance at the same price or reduce the price. If you're into their design aesthetic, right, there's nothing like them on the planet. And, you know, they are incredibly powerful. And I will say the engineering inside of them is completely insane. I have I have so much respect for the the engineering they patented into these things. They are spendy as hell. <laughs> you know, I will say they have some of the most beautiful speaker stands and wall mounts I've ever seen. But I'll be very curious to see if there's you know if there's anywhere to actually hear one of those outside of. I think they have multiple stores in Singapore. I'm pretty sure they don't have anyone near uh, St. Louis. <laughs> I like how you put it. High senses on a tear. Projection Central just reviewed uh, High Sense's new PX1 Pro Trichroma Laser Ultra Short Throw Projector. So this uh, is a couple, almost, I guess, twenty five hundred dollars less than High Sense's L9G. But in Projection Central's test, quote, it actually over delivered to be the best UST Ultra Short Throw Projector in its price range. Brighter than the specs would indicate. Sharp motorized lens with high uniformity, uh, accurate color and gamma. Quote, thorough, unquote, calibration control. It's smaller than most ultra short throw projectors. 107% rec 2020. Uh, That's Rated crazy. at 2200 lumens. Uh, HDR10, HLG are supported. 
and you went nuts over the the measured real world contrast. It was just exceptional for any projector, really. I mean, in the real world, typically, if you measured it in a room, that's you know normal. Uh, you're in, <laughs> even in the best rooms, you're getting something in the order of about two hundred to two hundred and fifty to one. Uh, that low sounds really low, and it is technically if you compare that to like infinity to one from an OLED screen or something like that. But still, in terms of comparing even the very best projectors, and one of the very best used to be an LED-based projector, which could effectively produce something in that range of almost 250 to 1 contrast ratio. And this was a pretty subjective measurement. This wasn't like in test conditions. This happened to be just the room he was in uh, mm -hmm. doing this setup. It was getting something very, very respectable out of that. And going back to CES, when they introduced this projector, one, it's already out, and two, they had a timeline for the upcoming models just showing right. improved performance, improved gamut coverage, brightness, and uh, resolution obviously going to increase as well, eventually up to 8K and beyond, I imagine. However, mm -hmm. for, for right now, this is just looking to be uh, an even better offering than maybe even the L9G. Yeah. Although you do need to supply your own screen. As yeah, I mean, that's out. part of the price delta between these two is is that the L9G includes a screen. Yeah. The PX1 Pro does not include a screen. If you're projector shopping, you're thinking about ultra short throw projectors, head over to Projector Central and read their review of the Hisense PX1 Pro. Um, there's some good info in there also on the setup. But, the, yeah, I mean, it's crazy. Even if you put in $1,000 for a screen, it's still $1,000 less than the L9G. True. Um, <laughs> I wish they would include some actual color measurements, though, in terms of the accuracy. Right. That's my biggest complaint about most laser projectors out there is that they're very difficult to tame for a particular environment. Uh, you have this incredibly wide color palette, but they don't provide the needed controls for you to really dial it in to make it accurate to, say, Rec. 709 or DCI color that's used in most of your HDR streaming and Dolby Vision streaming. And it would just be nice to have that. That is something that LG currently offers on their best short throw laser projectors and other projectors too. I need to see how many of their projectors now include it. But I have the ability to go in there with my software, my calibration tools, and actually program the lookup table on those projectors to hit the targets almost you know, effectively perfectly. And that's something I'm not seeing on anyone else's designs to this date, save maybe for JVC, they have a pretty good calibration tool as well for their projectors, but it's not nearly as powerful as something like LG in their work with companies like Portrait Displays to put out uh, projectors that can be so finely tuned if you so desire. But uh, at least according to Projector Central, it had some great presets for the Hisense PX1 Pro uh, right out of the box. So it doesn't sound like it took a lot to get a very pleasing picture from this projector in general. And you have the our true RGB light engine. This is literally their second or third generation of that now. That is still pretty amazing to me that that is available nowadays. And that is one I would like to get my hands on, actually, and do a little comparative testing. I would love to measure that uh, color gamut and how easy... How good is it right out of the box? And if it needs adjustment, how well do those controls actually work? That's the big question for me. Right. But it sounds like it's not too far off. <laughs> Shouldn't be bad. That's uh, That looks solid. 
Before we get on to our viewer questions, I want to take a moment to thank our patrons and say, hey, really, thank you. Patreon.com slash AVXL. Um, your contributions make this show possible. And uh, our next patron hangout is Friday, April 22nd at 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern. Ooh. We'll give information on that in the... And we'll add patreon.com slash ABXL, and hopefully you will receive an email facilitated by Patreon to give you a heads up on that. And also a shout out. There's some people who have been with us. This is the people who have been with us are kind of the, the longest lifetime contributors to ABXL. And uh, these folks are going back to late 2015, early 2016 for the most part. So seriously, uh, and I'm not going to mention last names because I'm uncomfortable with mentioning last names because of my background in television where you were forbid to mention last names without the permission of the person. So uh, Andrew, Adam, Morgan, Francois, Sendayu, and AJ, uh, thank you for your long, long, long-term support of AVXL. We really appreciate that. Um, Heck yeah. And to anyone else who wants to hang out with us, do us a favor, head on over and check the appropriate option, well, to become our patron, to provide us with patronage, to be our patrons, patreon.com slash ABXL. Seriously, thank you, everybody. We appreciate that. Neil <laughs> emailed askatabxl.com. He says, I asked a cop about the legality of driving while wearing earplugs or ear protection, and he said it's generally enforced as distracted driving, but it is rarely enforced, not unlike having something hanging from your rearview mirror. I suppose it's one of those things that probably doesn't matter unless there's someone looking for a reason to pull you over anyway. Good point. I also, you know, I got to say, if anybody can see me using my noise-canceling headphones when I'm nine feet off the ground in a 26-foot Penske truck, I figure they must really want to, they, either this is a deep concern to them or they must really want to pull me over. Um, because quite frankly, between the noise of the big square cab and the noise of the diesel engine, you cannot hear much. <laughs> understand that and also be aware um, that you may live in a city like mine where our police yesterday or lo a local law enforcement had an extra busy day they pick certain days of the year where they'll go out and mm -hmm. ticket anything and everything just on an, like a critical hit day and that right. was yesterday and it was pretty impressive to see <laughs> the number of people pulled over for anything and i have to say that extended even to like the chp and other law enforcement agencies as well it was just one of those big crackdown days it's like all the little things no rolling stop signs no this no that oh anyway it was a uh, it, it was visibly noticeable what was going on <laughs> and i was driving extra careful and extra safe not that i don't already but still wasn't taking any chances that's a good plan hey Stop at stop signs. Stop at stoplights. Especially if you live here in St. Louis. People have a funny relationship to stop signs in St. Louis. I've never seen stop signs rolled with the intensity of stop signs are rolled in the loo. <laughs> so, um, Neil also said he's got a question regarding screen calibration. Is there an easy solution? that you would recommend for home gamers as opposed to the professional stuff. Back in the day, Spider was a thing. It seems they still are. And I was kicking around getting something used on eBay or Craigslist to do the monitor for myself or whoever else wants it. I'd ideally like to be able to do my projector, though I suspect that comes with its own set of challenges. And uh, he says, you know, reading reviews for displays is always the color accuracy before and after calibration. And I'm hoping to achieve the after results without breaking the bank on serious gear. 
Thanks as always, Neil. So first up, Data Color Spider X is still kind of the standard for uh, prosumer home consumer uh, data calibration for monitors. Uh, it's like 150 bucks at Amazon. For 225, you get a fancier one that does more things. Uh, I believe it, you know, primarily custom white points if that's something you need. Both of them come with free display cal software along with the data color software. The you know data colors in-house software for the spider x um that's the pretty spendier cool. version gets you more software features unlocked in display cal software it is really cool uh it's it's a nice piece of kit i find that monitor calibration on the pc side of things is pretty mm -hmm. straightforward and one of the easier projects you can do you're typically only adjusting the bright end of the picture and that will bring everything else into line and right. the number one monitor tip, uh, just if you have no interest in going to the effort of picking up a calibration tool and software and, and manually creating a profile for your monitor, install mm -hmm. the color profile that came with your monitor or download it from the manufacturer. These files can be imported into your operating system and selected as the default. And when a monitor says that, hey, uh, we are factory calibrated to be X accurate or pre-calibrated from the factory in general, what they are implying is that you will take the time to actually install that color profile that was included. It would be nice if the monitor was just natively that, but it may actually require that profile to be present in order for right. you to have that accurate picture. And something like the Spider X is, in my opinion, at 150 bucks, not a bad deal. That will allow you to generate a custom color profile for that monitor to your own specification, which is likely going to be something like sRGB or Rec. 709, and you will get right. terrific image quality out of that. Funny thing is, uh, I mentioned earlier the JVC calibration software for their projectors, even their 10, 15, $20,000 projectors, their own calibration software only supports two colorimeters, and one of them is the spider, which cracks me up a little bit. So... Don't poo-poo the spider, uh, even for projector calibration. You'll generally need to place this on a tripod. Most of these meters will feature a tripod mount and then point it at the screen in a similar eyesight path as it would be if you were sitting in the audience. But you generally get these meters as close to the screen as possible, measuring a spot that isn't being, you know, shadowed per se by the meter itself. Make sure you're not so you pointing get the it right into off the, the screen. Totally, because that is effectively what's going into your eye to create the picture. And that's, you can always put a filter and measure what's directly coming out of the projector. Sure. But there's no reason to do that if you're doing right. this for any kind of home setup environment or even just a regular setup environment where you should take into account the screen material and its effect on the color and its presentation. Whether there's gain built into the screen, the color of the screen. So that's going to have an impact on the actual color. Funny, I never really thought about that before. The challenges with doing projector calibration really are the room environment. It's one thing if you're in a sealed room with no light in egress or entry coming in from out external sources or lighting in the room or things like that. But even a small gap in a set of curtains that allows sunlight to stream in somehow seems to always find the screen and will influence the readings appropriately. So keep that in mind. Uh, double check how your setup is before you proceed down to doing any kind of, you know, colorimeter calibration of a projector like this. But for things like monitors, PC monitors in general, these types of products like the Spider X are pretty much perfectly optimized for doing that kind of calibration. And even Sweet. if you just wanted to manually dial in the white point, 
just without even creating a color profile. That could go a long way as well. And you could turn around and probably use this to do a basic calibration on your favorite television sets too. That gets into one area of these type of meters <laughs> that you will find that for different display technologies, uh, it needs to know what the color characteristics of the light it's reading are. Is this a laser-based display? Is this an LED illuminated display? Is this some unique OLED material? It is helpful to have profiles set up for those different types of light sources. And more expensive meters do provide either updated tables that contain that information. And I would be curious to see what Spider is doing in terms of that as well. However, for something like your personal computer monitor that is likely LED backlit, these things are already made for that. And there probably isn't a whole lot of pain and suffering uh, needed to get your monitor fine-tuned to an acceptable level. Reminding self, I need to actually take a look at my own monitor here and uh, double-check what I have it currently set up for. But anywho, <laughs> yeah. Fear not, and that Check price is good, and that hardware, if it's good enough for doing a JVC projector calibration, <laughs> shout out to the folks at Spider. Right. That product's been around for a while and gone through several iterations, but it's effectively still that puck design that you just lay right in the center of the screen and put up your test patch window under that and go to town. Right. I mean, I haven't messed with one of those in particular in a long time, and I would like to. Hey, I want to give a shout out to uh, ratings.com, R-T-I-N-G-S.com. Rob's talked about them a bunch. I've talked about them a bunch. They go out, they buy televisions, they test them, they give some fantastic reviews, uh, and they're doing serious objective testing on a scale that there just really doesn't exist in a lot of places anymore. So Dr. Sean Olive uh, of Harmon Research fame reached out to them because he saw some discrepancies between his active noise cancellation measurements for some headphones and their active noise cancellation numbers. And ratings uh, tweeted back at Sean Olive. Hello, Dr. Sean Olive. We really appreciate you taking the time to share this feedback with us. We're also wondering if there were any additional details you could provide or specific models we'd like to look into and double check things on our end. I just thought that was extraordinary because, you know, not too long ago, I saw somebody borked on an article and the response from the organization was that the internet is mean and should not point out that we made a mistake. You know, they didn't acknowledge their mistake. They didn't correct their mistake. They just basically said the internet is mean, back off. And I just want to give a shout out to, to ratings.com. It's like, you know, they didn't say they were wrong. They may not be wrong, but they acknowledged it and they responded to it, especially because Dr. Olive's a fairly serious source when you're talking about measuring audio gear. And it was just nice to see folks reaching out and responding in a thoughtful way rather than just being like, the internet is mean, go die. So it's nice. That's one of the things about ratings that I appreciate the most yeah. is their detailed methodologies and the revisions of them and how they are to keep those not only updated but uh, yeah. always looking to make them better year after year they were in a tough bind in their early version of they had kind of like one number for headphones and i just remember like being like you guys have to stop this because it's a heavy audiophile headphone with an open back this is not a commuting headphone don't ding it for not being friendly to commuting but you know i got a lot of respect for what they're doing and, and the fact that they iterate and they keep improving their methodology so shout out to them and the work they're doing up there and they're expanding into many other product categories now i see yeah. beyond just display and audio so Keep an eye out for those guys. Uh, they are starting to charge premium prices for some of their materials. So, But it is such a wonderful resource for comparisons, especially on products that are already out. Yeah. And they have 
put through the ringer and provided the numbers on it's for me it's invaluable yay what you watching man baseball's back baby i'm actually not <laughs> watching it though uh look your favorite baseball team or sports team in general they usually have some radio broadcast that is free to stream and I have located for my particular favorite teams uh, their website that contains that streaming page where I can simply bookmark that. And then whenever a game is on, I pull it up and hit the play button right there on the screen. And my phone is transformed into a old fashioned AM radio <laughs> that I can then <laughs> follow along. But don't think that you need some sort of a fancy subscription or an app or anything. Really, right. you can do it in your favorite browser if you find the right page on your team's page within the system. And once you do, bookmark that sucker. And it makes it real easy just to go back and, hey, I know the game's on. <laughs> Ooh, hey, look at that. The stream is live. Click done. And I had a box of Sonos One speakers arrive, uh, two of them specifically. And I'll be setting those up this weekend with a sound bar and a sub and checking out that surround sound experience finally with a sound bar based product. It's been a while, and uh, I'm looking forward to that. Sweet. Uh, if you're a Ken Watanabe fan, uh, you might know him from Inception or The Last Samurai or a whole bunch of other movies that uh, are fantastic. Tokyo Vice just launched, I think, last week on uh, HBO Max. It's a Max original, like a Cinemax original. Quote, a Western journalist working for a publication in Tokyo takes on one of the city's most powerful crime bosses. And it's based on a true story by a man named Jake Adelstein. It takes place in Tokyo back in the early 90s, I want to say the, about 20 years ago, uh, late 90s, early aughts. If you've ever spent time in Japan, it's fun to look at this because it kind of captures a lot of, of the essence of, of Japan and being gaijin in Japan. And uh, my wife spent a, a year over there teaching English. Uh, and it's also some solid acting and some crazy stories. And uh, as many things are these days, it is beautifully shot. So uh, big shout out to that. And anytime uh, I see, I have an opportunity to watch Ken Watanabe be Ken Watanabe. Uh, it makes me happy. <laughs> Heck so. yeah. If you are a fan of Mr. Watanabe, I hope I'm saying that right. I am terrible with names that way. But there is a YouTube channel called Abroad in Japan, and they recently had an interview with him. Uh, Abroad in Japan also happens to be one of my favorite shows about somebody who's been living there for quite a while their take on life and a good mix of between the fun and the silly and some artistic intent in addition to occasionally a good interview and if you're needing a little bit more mr ken go ahead and check out uh i'll put a link to this in the show notes for the abroad in japan channel and that interview with him in addition to just some very other good stories and and good times and a good yeah. look at that country from more of a tourist perspective as somebody who's been there and seen the whole country and could point out interesting places and things to do or places to eat and things to eat and uh, sights to see. It, it's a good channel, but it also has a good interview as well. Several, but that's one that just jumped out at me. I had no idea that Ken Watanabe did not become interested in acting until the age of 24 when a director of England's National Theatre Company where he was studying told him that acting was his special gift. Aww. In 1978, he moved to Tokyo to pursue acting. So, I am fascinated. Yeah. Pretty cool. <laughs> Enjoy the man's work. Um, tweet at Robert Heron, at Patrick Norner, at AVXL if you want to use the Twitters. 
if you have an email address, you can email any questions, thoughts, or things you want to share with the AVXL audience. Email ask at avxl.com. Our patrons at patreon.com slash avxl can also message us on Patreon. And if you need a hashtag, hashtag askavxl works just fine for us. So uh, seriously, thank you again to everybody for listening. Thank you to our patrons for supporting us. And, uh, you know, thanks to you for listening to this episode. We appreciate that. And uh, do us a favor, tweet Robert Heron or Patrick Norton or email AskTheNavyXL if you have a question or a thought or you're curious about some aspect of home theater, audio, personal audio, or any of that good stuff. The cat has just jumped on my lap, so it's probably time for me to end this podcast. Aww. I'm Patrick Norton. <laughs> I am Robert Heron. <laughs> Got to get him off me before the claws dig in. We'll catch you next week. Ow! On AVXL. So much purring, so much claws.